Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Lots to chat about today. I'm pumped. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm, I'm excited to jump in. So I think a lot of people understand why someone would start hosting parties, right? You're new to a city, you want to make friends, you want to meet people. And then I think, you know, my experience kind of going through a similar thing was that within a few events, it kind of quickly solves that problem of like, you now you have so many people, you couldn't possibly like get a one-on-one with every person. And you, like you'd fill up your calendar for two months because you get 30 people on an event that's like a whole month. So in terms of why you start hosting parties, I think that's pretty clear. It's a really effective way to, to meet people. But in terms of why you continue doing it, despite the kind of solving the initial problem, that's what I'm less clear on. So given like the success you've had hosting so many events, why is it still worthwhile to continue doing? At this point, I've done over 100 events, right? 15,000 people, six different cities. And so I'm, I, I've gotten pretty, you know, pretty good at it. And it's, it's very low effort for me, for, for me to host something. And um, you combine that with the fact that you know, every time I go to one of these events, um, I'm grateful to have people come up to me and be like, Andrew, three years ago, you know, I moved to this city and everything was shut down and every, all my friends had left. And I went to one of your parties and I, and, and I made like five friends. And to this day, you know, 80% of my inner circle are people I met from your events. Um, and that, that really resonated with me. You know, that was why I started doing these things. And, um, you know, you sort of realize the, the impact of doing these things. And so if something is like really easy for you, you to do, but really impactful for someone else. So in a sense, like leverage, but not for yourself, for someone else, um, then you, you sort of owe it to, to the world and you owe it to the community to do that thing. Um, if, if, you know, if your gift is throwing events, um, if you could do five a week and it's helpful and it's valuable, then that's what you should do. Um, you know, maybe down the road, there's a way to combine that with, with, uh, you know, like a business objective. Um, that's how you get like the trifecta of like combining what you're good at, um, you know, what you love doing and, and what makes you money. That's like down the road. But um, I, I, you know, to answer your question, I keep doing it because I've seen the impact and, and people find them valuable. And so I feel like I just owe it to the community. I love that. One thing that we uh, covered when we interviewed Nick Gray was the servant leadership of running a party and how for him and like his ethos is it's really not about you hosting the party. It's about giving to other people. And I feel like uh, it's clear in how you can do that with a small group of people, but you're hosting gigantic parties. So how do you do that at scale? Yeah, the really big parties are like, let's say it's a thousand people or like 2,500 people. You know, it, it, it then becomes more of a uh, like entertainment than uh, like about human connection. And so um, usually at the really big ones, it's a really cool venue um, that normally people don't have access to. And if the way I think about it, if you're going to go to like, you know, the coolest rooftop in New York City, would I rather go with like three of my friends or go with three of my friends and be surrounded by a thousand people that I could potentially, you know, fit my vibe versus like a thousand random people. Um, so, so the big ones, I've said this many times, but the big ones aren't so much about like intimate human connection. They're about the energy of the room. They're about um, the same way you would think about a really cool restaurant or concert. It's about the entertainment and hospitality value uh, of, you know, of the venue. Um, so yeah, the big ones are a little bit different, but I, I do still do, um, I still do try to like uh, curate in a sense of like, you know, who I invite. And also, you know, I, I do this uh, monthly thing at the Williamsburg Hotel rooftop in New York City. And I actually have like 80 to 100 volunteers that will wear the yellow lanyard inspired by Nick and go around and talk with people. And so if you show up alone, you, you still end up making at least one connection. You know, what I like to say is you, you, sh- you show up um, as a stranger and you leave with a friend. Um, so it still holds true. 
uh, it's just not as not as intimate, but it, it serves a different purpose. Is that that monthly event is the Junto that you hold? I do five events a month. Uh, so <laughs> I have uh, the Junto. I actually have I do twice a month, and those are mm-hmm. very curated. The the wait list is about five thousand people. Monday, uh, and it's a hundred at a time. And actually, if you, if I showed you my inbox right now, I just did this this morning. I sent out two hundred emails, uh, putting two hundred people in twenty different groups based on their inputs to my form. So if founders like I'm raising money, I'm going to put them in a group with a founder, sorry, with an investor or a journalist that covers that founder. So it's more curated. Um, but I, every month I do one or two Juntos. I do a big blowout mixer, uh, like 15, one, 1,000 to 1,500 people. And then I'll, I'll do like one offshoot event, like a fashion event with my friend Lior or like an influencer event with my friend Alan. Um, it, it just sort of depends. What do you think is driving such a visceral enthusiasm for what you're doing like what do you think kind of the bigger broader factors are culturally that leads to such a you know a 5000 person waitlist for something you've only been doing you know so long and you know you're not backed by any kind of traditional legacy institutions kind of just an upstart very organic grassroots thing that's just grown why has that generated such an insane level of interest so i've realized if you i mean if you live in new york city you know there's a high probability that you're very ambitious and uh, when you're ambitious you're always seeking um, to expand your inner circle and surround yourselves with people that are more ambitious than yourself. You know, in a city like New York, and really any city, I'd say New York City has like a high density of those kind of people. You know, it's just self-selective. People just move here because they're ambitious. Um, not to say people who don't live here are ambitious, but you get my point. As someone who's very ambitious in New York City, like how do you meet other ambitious people? Uh, and, and not just ambitious, ambitious, kind, open-minded, you know, the kind of people we want to surround ourselves with. And there's only a few ways. Like one is... Uh, you know, alumni network. Another one is like friends of friends. That's like kind of like limiting. Like, how do you even expand that? Like, you know, it's sort of out of your control to an extent. Um, or like you join like a membership community or like on deck or something like that. But not everyone has access to those things. Um, you can't just go to a bar. You know, you go to a bar. I live in West Village. You go to a bar in West Village. Uh, you go to the Spaniard. There, there's no way I can have the kind of conversations I'm having at Junto Club. And so there's really no place. And so I wanted to create that place. I'm like, you got nothing to do on a Wednesday night. My events are normally Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, like not so much Thursday, but like, you know, those three days. Um, if you got nothing to do and you have free time and you're going to go to a bar with your friends, why not just go to one of these bars where I'm doing one of my events and you get to put yourself in a serendipitous situation where you could potentially meet someone that could change your life, literally change the trajectory of your life. Um, so I think that that's the thinking I've always shared. And, and I think people feel that. And they associate like my name with, you know, I'm thankful that they associate my name with like high quality events or high, at least high quality people. What do you advise people to do kind of t- making the mission bigger than yourself, right? It sounds like you're providing an incredible outlet for people in New York that have that desire, but kind of on the global scale for people who are not in like that concentrated of a market, but still have that same strong desire to meet cool people. Do you kind of inspire them? to or encourage them to kind of be a copycat and replicate your approach in their cities? Do you have examples of people doing that? Like, how do you think about tackling this problem bigger than just you crushing it in New York? I, uh, my closest friend um, has been going to my events and uh, supporting me for the longest time for the last two years. Um, and he, he recently told me, he was like, hey, I want to build a community for, for immigrant um, operators who are struggling to get a visa and they're struggling to find work, especially in this economy. And that, that's sort of like, I, I am still on a visa immigrant, you know, moved here three years ago. Um, and that was like the most flattering thing. Uh, the fact that people see what I'm doing and they want to do the same thing. 
uh, for a purpose. And so, I, you know, I, I meet people who are like, I want to start throwing parties and make a shit ton of money. Um, that rubs me the wrong way because that's not why I started doing it. But if someone's like, I want to, I want to do it because I want to help other people in a very specific, uh, you know, domain, or I just want to help people connect, then then that's very flattering to me, and I'd encourage as many people to do it as as possible, as long as it's like done well and intentional. And um, I'm very open about my my playbook. You know, that's why I do podcasts like this. I, I tweet a lot about exactly here's exactly what you need to do. Um, so so I'm very in- encouraging of it and i'm very open with with my values like even on twitter my my number one thing is is uh um be kind and i i I say that so often because i i never used to be um a kind person but someone treated me very well and um helped me get to where i am so now that's my number one value um so yeah i would love to inspire more people not only to host things but just to get outside their comfort zone um and uh and and do something in the realm of of connecting humans and bringing humans together that can uh, impact your your personal or professional life. Let's double tap on the kindness aspect. You said that someone shows you kindness. What what happened there and why do you think that being kind is such a high value uh thing to do uh, not only for yourself for other people. The uh, the second part of that question is really hard. Um but yeah the the first one is um I've never had good grades. I was never good at like the school thing, studying and, and getting, you know, like bad at math, bad at science, bad at every single like subject that you would consider hard. And so I had, I had trouble like finding, I was just good with people, uh, but I had really trouble. I had, I had a lot of trouble like finding a job and that kind of thing. And I had a mentor. His name was, uh, his name is Bob. Um, he was, he was brilliant, good grades. He worked at Google, Snap, Accenture, like consulting, you know, all these things. And he took so much time to help me with my interviewing and and he would literally wake up at 8 a.m. to coach me on how to interview, how to prep my resume. Um, and there's nothing in it for him. And you know, like two years ago, he actually, you know, during like the mass layoffs of COVID, he opened up his calendar to anyone who wanted to book time with him. And he did like 200 coaching sessions for free. Um, and, and that was very inspiring because, you know, it's back to what I said earlier. He's really good at something and it's 20 minutes of his time that could result in, in, you know, years of, of positive impact for a human being. Um, and, and so that's what I mean by being kind, like find out what you're good at and, and, you know, give that, share that with the world. I guess the second, I haven't really thought of an answer for the second part of the question, but, um, you know, I, I just think about the kind of world I want to live in. Um, it's a kind world. And I spent 18 years in, in Asia, uh, three countries in Asia. And like, it's honestly very different there. Um, uh, people are not as open um, definitely not as kind. They're a lot more rude and um, it's a little bit draining. Uh, and, and so that's why I love America so much. I love North America because people people here are just, it's very different here. I like the asymmetry you spelled out with, you know, 20 minutes of this person's time is transformative for years of this other person, right? It's such like a small relative investment. And you know what the multiple is, right? Thousands or a 10,000 return in terms of the time invested. And I feel like Kind of as you said at the beginning, the the parties are that for you as well, right? For you, I don't know if you've you know done the math to quantify the amount of effort it takes for you to host a party in terms of getting enough people to show up, coordinating the venue. But it, maybe it's something like you know under ten hours per party, probably less, based on how uh, efficient you've gotten with the processes and systems behind everything. And for a thousand people to have, you know, if I don't know if, again the percentages, and that's not the reason that you do it as like a predicted conversion rate, but if ten percent of the people at the party are going to have some transformational connection 
that again, it's also just the course of their life by years. 100%. I think I, I've said this before in the pod. I'm like, if I really tried, um, I could probably do a thousand person party, you know, by, by Wednesday, um, just like text off texting off my phone, you know, like right now I could probably make that happen. The hardest part is actually like what you'd not expect. It's like, how do I make the graphics on my phone? <laughs> but I can just tell someone to do it probably. Um, but yeah, like if, you know, if, if a, even if it's a hundred person event and one person meets someone that gives them a job that, you know, that's like enormous impact. So as long as nobody like, you know, there's no negative impact, which there normally isn't. So yeah, I think one of the cooler things I heard you mention on other podcasts and something I've experienced in a smaller part is when you go on social media and you look at the page of someone that you're friends with. And then you see that like they're mutuals, they're followed by like 20 of your other friends. And you're like, wait, there's no reason this person would have known all those other people. Like, it's kind of the amount of, and again, you can do like the, the math here, or the exponentials, but the amount of interactions that happen at a party, even with 50 people, right? The amount of difference, mm-hmm. like if 50 factorial, whatever the, the math is to compute the number of combinations that could happen. And you just, it beyond what you could possibly observe, because you, you think you're watching everything that happens at your party. Then you realize that a hundred times more things happened than you had any idea as to what happens. And you're like, I had no idea these people connected. I forgot that they were ever even in the same room. Yeah. And then you like end up seeing them in like a photo together again. And you've just created so many independent relationships. It's absolutely crazy. Um, and I'm not like, the one thing I haven't really done very well is like, I haven't tracked, you know, I, you know, I have a list of like founders who I've directly helped raise money and people I've helped get jobs and all that kind of thing. But I haven't tracked like the secondary impacts, and, and I'm sure there's there's so many. 100. I I don't see 95 percent of the activity that happens for sure. Like, you know, 15,000 people over 100 events. Like, I have no idea what's going on in the background. There are a couple of things I want to ask you about. Uh, the the one is like story based. Uh, I know that getting all these people together, being up till 2 a.m., having these crazy nights for I don't know how long now, but uh, a long time. There's got to be some stories that are just unexplainable. Things that have happened that stand out that are like, how did that happen? Uh, you know, it's 2 a.m. and Martin Scorsese walks out and is like, what's up, Andrew? Not that type of thing, but just unexplainable moments. Is there one that stands out to you? Not a specific one, but there are moments where, I mean, early, like really early in, in my, in, you know, in this, in the journey, um, you know, I have, I have a form and I would just see names trickle in and like people that applied to these events. And I'm like, holy shit, this person's like famous, like super famous. And so I had, you know, the co-founder of the world's largest language learning app. And you could probably figure out which one. And like he brought his entire team. Um, and I'm like, what? This Like anyone with a, with a Wikipedia page, I'm like, oh shit, that's kind of cool. Um, I had this guy who, uh, you know, like, biked with Lance like raced with Lance Armstrong and then like became a chief exec at the most notable companies in the world so so there yeah a lot of really interesting ones I, I can't think of any like specific stories I, I guess there's sometimes it's some, some of these notable people just show up out of the blue and I'm like is that is that them so in addition to the parties a big piece of what you do to accumulate leverage is kind of the social media the email newsletter What's the role that all that's played and kind of your, how do you piece that into kind of the vision of the projects that you're working on and how they all kind of piece together to build towards whatever future you're going towards? Yeah. Um, the way I think about uh, everything I'm doing, like the whole ecosystem of things I'm doing. Yeah, that's the right word, ecosystem. Yeah, it's, well, it's literally on my board. 
<laughs> ecosystem overview. I'm still trying to figure out, but it's something along the lines of like, my core focus is going to be building uh, distribution and brand. So it's distribution, reaching as many people as I can and a brand, getting them to trust me for a specific thing. Um, and that specific thing is something along the lines of like, you know, Andrew knows, um, Andrew can help a founder do, you know, raise money, get higher talent, get press, all these things. He, he's someone that can help in a business advisory, advisory sense. Um, and so my, my focus on doing those two things is done by um, throwing parties that are good and building that, let's say the email list is going to be done by media, um, newsletter, you know, socials, that kind of thing, you know, may, maybe a pod in the future, but those are building distribution. And then, and then under that, you have like the second layer, which is let's call it a platform, which is how do you take all these um, like emails and, and contacts and, and create business value out of them. And so some of the ways I've been doing that is deal flow, you know, like deal flow, like helping founders raise money and potentially down the road, that's like a, a rolling fund or some, or syndication at least, or something like that. Um, there is a talent collective, which is helping people get jobs, and that could turn into a talent placement agency. So you're incubating these things. Um, and then there is also like like a, a massive affiliate program, like which is like any anyone who needs a legal service, you know, there's there's a partnership with them um, where you work with the lawyers and get a kickback or something like that. So there there's a ton of business value there. But ultimately, I think you know events. You know, I've done these parties and I've done these happy hours and I've done these dinners and and they're good. Um, but I'm like it feels like it's a means to an end. Like I'm not going to be doing events forever, like at least not five a month for, for the rest of my life. Maybe I'll do like one conference a year, like one a month. Um, but it's, it feels like it's a, it's a way for me to um, get access to something else and a way for me to develop the skills for something else. And I'm still figuring out what that something else is. Um, I'm leaning toward the idea of like events can be a really cash positive business like it could be a pretty good business lucrative business but that's in a short run how do i capitalize in the long run you know i, I think it's something on the long the lines of like investing investing in, in early stage companies investing in founders you know given i have the access there so that's kind of it's not very organized but that's how i'm thinking about things do you have any specific people that you kind of in a career perspective kind of modern careers that you want to emulate so know a lot of whether it's someone like who's kind of in that position of media distribution slash investor slash connector that you're kind of like that's kind of a directionally appropriate mentor i would define it as like a creator business which is your focus is purely distribution and and then incubating businesses within it so some names that pop up are sam parr i don't know him that well but um you know we, we text from time to time and i i watch him closely and i try to learn from him closely sahil bloom um, but that's like a, a bit of a different business where it's more leaned in on the media side versus the business side um, and then I'm, I'm right now I'm working with Anthony Pompliano, who talks about, you know, distribution and capital all the time. And he, and all he does is he brings in, not all he does, but what he does really well is he'll bring, he'll identify areas of opportunity and then he'll bring in an operator and co-run the business with them. Um, kind of like how Sahil is doing with like, I think Sahil just launched like two businesses in the last two months. One is a personal branding agency and the other one is I think like a video viral cuts or something like that. Uh, so, so something like that. I think that's what I'm looking at. I'm not like raising money. It's not attractive to me. I just don't see a great outcome from raising money. I don't see how that's going to help me make a lot of money or have a lot of impact. And uh, yeah, that, that's probably it. May, maybe a Jason Calacanis, but I, don't, I need to sort of like learn more about how he's built what he's built before. Like, no, I'm gonna go for it, Kyle. 
Oh, well, I I thought you were going to say that you work for Pomp because I don't know if that was clear or not. Um, no, I worked directly for Pomp's. Uh, oh, I was cool. director of growth for Infliction Points for a while. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, he'll probably, he might see this anyway, so. Yeah, for sure. But no, I think that that's super interesting. We interviewed uh, Nick Huber, Sweaty Startup. Uh, he's got like nice. 300K on Twitter. I don't know if you know who he is, but his yeah. um, his only contribution to new businesses is distribution. And they're all kind of in his uh, specific niche. And, you know, his sales pitch is like, I have an email newsletter with 100,000 business owners who are customers for you. Give me a piece of the equity. I'll plug you into my my distribution. And then it's it's game on and game over because the value of that company increases dramatically once he gets plugged into um, his his network. And I think you know, for you, it's different because your audience is different. Like he has a ton of people who are SMB uh, owners building service-based businesses, whereas your customers are like, you know, high-tech founders, high-tech VCs, kind of this like different class of people. And defining, you know, one thing that's interesting for you is like you have so many contact points with these people. So you're building this this database of what these people need and what they want. Um, and I think that having that specialized knowledge will allow you to to leverage your distribution in a way that uh other people who just who know the same people like it it, it wouldn't work the same way so um that the the idea of distribution like as a service is has been running in my mind since we interviewed uh Nick nice it's super interesting yeah and i've realized like some of the differences are well, like Nick, you know, and Sam Parr, they're experts in building businesses. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm still learning. I'm, uh, you know, I've done the big kind of tech thing, but I, I don't, I've never built like a million dollar business before. I think also the, the other thing I've been thinking about is Sam has a, has a newsletter. Um, and that's like, I can't think of the word, but when you read a newsletter, like you, you have a relationship with, with Sam and it's like probably sort of lower in the scale of like that emotional bond. Um, and then think about a pod, you're listening to someone, it's very intimate, it's higher emotional bond. And then there's video, which is even more intimate. Um, but the most intimate thing I think is like an event um, because you're in person, it's an experience. Like think about the last time you went to a concert, it like shapes your entire, um, you know, uh, like all your motions during like a four hour period. And so the one thing I'm thinking about is how do I leverage that more? Because I'm, I have the ability to really quickly build rapport and trust with these people because it's not just text, it's like an experience, but I can also kill, kill that trust really quickly. Um, but that, that's the thing I'm trying to capitalize on a little bit more is I can reach them in, on a much deeper level. And I think what's interesting, kind of a parallel there is, you know, if you ever like recommend a book to someone and that book is exactly what they needed and has the profound ideas they needed to like unlock that next level, they kind of credit you with all the knowledge of the book, even though right, you're not the author, you're not the person who spent all the effort reading the book. And it's kind of the same thing where, you know, you host an event and, you know, you are the person who not even on purpose, because again, you didn't pair every single person at the party together, but you connected them to the person that unlocked the next important thing in their life. And they kind of credit you as the person who helped them in this major way. And so it's, it's very similar and very powerful. Yeah. The book thing is cool. I've never, uh, I've never like thought of it like that, but that's, uh, that's brilliant. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It has to be a good, a good selection. What, one thing that I heard you mention as well, one of the, your favorite things to do when you meet a new person is kind of interview them casually, not, you know, in a hostile way. But like, what are your goals? What are your ambitions? Like, what can I help you with? Not in, again, in like a toxic way, just generally, it's a way to create an energizing conversation. And it's a way to understand what someone's actually motivated to do. What from the other person's perspective, like, 
how does someone present that to you in a way that actually makes you want to help them? Because I think there's a way to, of like being very off-putting when people say their goals versus also being very like kind of making someone actually want to join your team and root for them. It's like, what kind of people, what kind of goals are you immediately like, that's amazing. Let, let me see how I can help you versus the opposite where you're like, oh, it actually is kind of uh, repelling. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I've recently met people who are like, they, they don't want to share their goals. They want to find out what my goals are. Sometimes it's a battle of like, just tell me tell me what you're looking for and then I'll tell you mine. Because uh, I, I don't like, I, I typically don't like sharing mine yet because I, I like to help first, but I totally see the point. Another question I like to ask is like, what's like what's missing from your life? And so I have all these like tech executives coming to the events and they make like millions of dollars a year and they have everything they want. And it you know it took me forever to understand that sometimes someone's looking for a wife or a husband. And, and so these things don't typically come out in a, in a you know tech event, but that's where you can find the highest quality people. You know, a lot of it is gut. If I sense someone is is not just like social climbing, and if they're not overly transactional, and if they actually want to build a longer term relationship with me, from the angle of I think I could learn something from Andrew, and I think I could teach him a few things, um, then then I'll engage on a, on a much deeper level. Not to say I won't engage with others who are like more transactional, but then it just becomes a transaction like. Hey, can you help me with this? Because I, you know, help me with this because it seems like you have access to it. And sure, but you owe me one. You know, we won't say it, but you know, it, it's it's sort of implied. I can't express it. I can't express sort of how I I um, think about it. But it's I, it's all gut feeling. Just learning to trust your gut. It's interesting because you don't want to be too transactional, but like you don't want to be tr- too transactional for the sake of eventually getting a transaction. And like the, all these internal things are the things that you kind of project out. And that's like what you respond to with your gut, right? And so like, this is a complicated question, but how do you like simultaneously want something to happen and also be normal, chill and like authentic? You know what I mean? Because it's like, you don't want to like give to receive, yeah, but yeah. it's all about your your like intentions. There, There's no way around the fact that the the only way um, to build a deep and trusting professional relationship is building it before you need it. Um, mm. And so there, there's no way for, like if I'm a founder, I'm raising money and you're a VCs, there's no way for me to build a friendship w- with you right now if I'm like, I just need, I need money. That's the one thing. And that's like, there's, there's very few situations where that can end up very organically. Um, so number one tip for any person networking is build it before you need it. You know, what follows that is uh, when people sort of prove themselves, when either when I prove myself to others or when they prove themselves to me, it's, it's just consistency over time um, builds trust. And so I have some people in um, in my network who I don't know well, but they've always offered to volunteer consistently or offered an introduction over time. And I'm like, wow, okay, um, I know I can trust you. You know, I know I can trust you. I know your your intentions are probably good if you're if you're thinking about me consistently um, in terms of like thinking about how to provide value. So it, it's really just those two two simple rules. Like you need consistency and you need time, and and also building it before you need it. I have a lot of questions I could I could ask there. One past podcast guest we've had, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He's very big in the Los Angeles community. His name is Dee Murthy. He's more of like an Instagram social media person than uh, Twitter. He's got a big podcast called Group Chat Pod. And anyway, one thing he always talks about in terms of like having a reason to keep in touch with someone is just whenever someone has like any achievements, just like that's just a reason to send like a, a short congrats text in terms mm. of like building a relationship. Because people don't think of it. It's, it's very easy to like hear the advice to like build it before you need it. Yeah. But it's like, what random reason do I have to reach out to this person, right? Like, why should I send this person just, hey, how you doing? It's like, we're not like that, right? You know what I mean? It's like, it's kind of weird. Yeah. But they post something that's just like, just raised money, just 
crossed X milestone, whatever, just like a nice congrats text is a super basic way to stay in contact without yeah anything into like you're not asking for anything just generally like hey this is super exciting good for you man keep crushing it Mm -hmm. yeah i like that yeah and i think the idea of building it before you need it it's like i don't i don't have a reason to be doing this it's just powerful i think that's a really great answer to the question that i asked so thank you yeah i i think it's uh maybe it's less so like i don't i don't have a reason um i just want to chat because because i'm not a fan of those yeah 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 pick your brain kind of text yeah yeah um, cause I remember when, when, um, when I was in Toronto and I always knew I'd wanted to move to New York city cause that was like the dream. Um, three or four years before I moved here, I started reaching out to people in New York cause I was like, one day I'm going to want to move there. And so I started like early, it was, I actually, it was kind of like the pick through your brain thing. It was like, I just want to learn from you. You've done so many amazing things. Like, do you have 20 minutes and we chat and then they would give me feedback and I would take that feedback. So they would give me tips and feedback on how to make my New York thing a reality. So mm-hmm. I would take that, uh, I would I would take action on it, and I get back to them like six months and be like, "Here's the advice you gave me. Here's what I did. It worked, you know." And then that gives them like a you know it gives them a rush. They're like, "I helped someone." Then you continue the conversation, and then over like three years, chat every quarter, every six months. That's a lot of touch points. That's that's a fully trusting relationship, professional relationship. And so I I had like a ton of those before before I made my jump from like like sort of like a not a small company but like a company like. My first company was Bell Canada, and people don't go from Bell Canada to, to Facebook in New York. It's just like a hard pivot. People go from like McKinsey to Facebook or like, you know, Microsoft or something, but not from like a just random company. Yeah, I think one thing that you uh, kind of just not glossed over, but maybe it makes intuitive sense to you that a lot of other people don't see the the kind of power in what you, you said is when you reach out to someone having something specifically relevant to that person. Right. So it's like the, the, I always think of Mark Cuban. It's like, if you just ask Mark Cuban, like, what should I do to start my first business? Like, you don't need him. Right. It's like, you'd be better off asking someone who's like more, like, there's no specific reason for like that level of person to answer the question. Mm-hmm. Versus if it's like you're in New York, you work in the industry I want to work into at a relatively similar seniority level to me. Like, how would you approach? And like, you're in a similar position in life mm-hmm. and you're uniquely qualified to answer this specific question versus just, can I talk to you? Cause I want to talk to you for, a vague reason like that's a very yeah. different pitch i just want to say that i've talked to you i just want you know i want to exactly. build a relationship with you um yeah it doesn't doesn't really make sense at all and that's back to the transactional nature of of and just like the other person can feel it and they know that you it's just there's there's no way around if i want something from you you can feel that and yeah. uh, it's yeah. you got to avoid that in order it's to gut, be successful gut feeling it's totally a gut <laughs> feeling um uh, I like to think that everyone in my inner circle is similar to me in the sense that uh, it's like give first and it's like we're not going to stab each other in the back. Um, and it's, it's 100% gut feeling. Yeah, one thing that I wanted to come back to uh, that you were talking about earlier and it's something that I care about a lot um, is like the design of spaces and how spaces like create emotions uh, and connections and and things that otherwise would not have happened. An example that I give a lot and I've given on this podcast before is like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. Like they they were in these beautiful places in in Greece, and it, without the places, their minds would have been different. They would have had different conversations, and then the preceding or uh, succeeding thousand of years would look a lot different. We wouldn't have the same democratic society and so like i really put a lot of weight and value on 
um, the design of spaces. So is there anything specifically related to like things that you've seen with venues that have created a certain environments that you were not expecting? Wow. That's a really good question. Um, I don't know if I have a good answer to match that good of a question. Um, I, my, my thing is like rooftop. So I've done over half my events on rooftops. And I think there's something about, I wish I could pull up a picture right now, but the Williamsburg hotel, it's literally, um, overseeing the Manhattan skyline. Uh, and so that does a lot of things like one, like people are going to go just for the venue. And so that's how you get people to come. And then two, um, it's, it's like really damn inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because there's a meme that's like a lot of people, all they do in New York is talk about how much they love and love New York. But with that comes um, a ton of like positivity and, and, and come and it sort of sets the vibe of, of the, of the event. And so I, I like open big spaces with nice views showing you exactly where you are. I'll never, and, and it's, it's not very dark. Like I'll never do like a closed, closed room or like I don't really do an office or anything like that. So, um, yeah, to, to give you the quick answer, it's really open spaces um, that make you feel un- unobstructed and that are inspiring and um, remind you of the fact that you're in New York City. So it brings you to the present as well. I think that's a great answer. Yeah, I hosted one of my events, two of them outdoors, and one of them was called Rooftop Mimosas. And it's just like a certain nice. fun thing. Yeah. Just what people just don't get invited to rooftops that often, even okay. if they like live in a building that has one, they're just like excited to do it and it's like the, uh, the most basic thing sometimes um yeah I'm, I'm working on a new um event series with my friend leor cole who's a model and a founder and uh, our friend who's the co-founder of vemo um they just got like a like a random like office space in chelsea and it's like it's not like super nice or anything the ceilings are kind of low um but, but we're now experimenting with like and it's not shitty, but let's, let's call it like a kind of a crappy office. Like how, how can you turn like a crappy office into like a really cool space just because of the context behind it? Um, That's like Virgil Abloh. Virgil, I don't know who that is. Virgil Abloh started Off-White. He was the, um, he, he passed away. Uh, okay. But he's, I mean, one of the most incredible artists of like the 21st century for sure. Uh, there's this thing that he talks about and i'll send you a clip after this but he there's like a candle and it's like um it's an aluminum candle it's like a nothing and he's like um this is not art like it could be on a table in like Mm -hmm. a thrift shop and it would mean nothing but you put it into an environment and then it's like something that is that is looked at and the environment Mm -hmm. being like a virgil abloh setting like you have to know who he is for this to fully make sense but Uh, can you send like, me that like i love that. yeah i will yeah. like uh, he uh, is so inspiring i i will I'll, I'll send you an email with like a bunch of different things from him what are some of your ideas for turning just a, a shabby or just uninspiring space and just kind of like changing it so one it has to be very funky from a design perspective and then two i'm not going to promote it at all um, so it's only word of mouth. It's going to be very, very exclusive. It might, we were thinking about calling, calling it like juice box or something where it's like only founders and like, I don't know, it, it's, it's going to be completely random. You know, there, there's, it's going to be the most random thing you can think of, but, um, all these random elements, but what's going to be really extraordinary is the people in the room. Um, so we're just going to bring together 50 of the most extraordinary people you ever met in like this random shitty venue 
um, and just confused the hell out of everyone. Kind of got like an underground vibe. Yeah, yeah, underground vibe. Um, and it's like facing the street. So let me see if I can show you a picture. Facing the street, and so maybe, you know, people on the street can see it, and like, you know, we'll, we'll give teasers and that kind of thing. Um, so I, I actually stayed there till like three a.m. last night, but like we installed these like lights. So it's kind of like a random, sh- you know what I mean? Like a, mm-hmm. just a random office. That, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's obviously very half baked. But you you like the challenge of like, can you take a space that doesn't have what's called like natural advantages? Yes. And yeah. versus just if you're already starting out at the top of a mountain, right? With this the most gorgeous view, all you have to do is just like get the people there, yeah. make sure no one falls off the mountain. Versus you're, this you're, is like you have a white box looking over a random street. Can you make you, it just you as phrased cool? It. Yeah, you phrased it really well. Exactly that. Like, I already have all the venues I want in New York. Like, how do I truly make it about the people? This is like a test of mm-hmm. like, like uh, how well you understand the principles rather than just like <laughs> cheating by using it. Well, it's like Williamsburg is like cheating almost for you because it's like yeah. it's so easy. It's, it's exactly perfect. Can I replicate that without the natural advantages? Yes. Yes. It's exactly that. One question I wanted to ask you is um, there's like a, a certain curatedness of your events now. And like you're saying, they're the 50 most incredible people you've ever met. And your first event was like a thing off Reddit, whereas like anybody can show up. Yeah. What do you think about like the exclusiveness as it relates to both the way the person feels when they're invited? They're like, oh, like I, I'm awesome because I got invited to this event, which is clearly a, a value. And then also the people that like aren't getting invited. Uh, and like the sub or the, the juxtaposition of like your Reddit event and like, you know, a thousand people that all work at A16Z and like are dope. You know, a lot of my friends don't get invites to some of the smaller ones. And I'm not, I'm not saying you're not great enough of a human to get an invite. I'm saying it's not relevant for you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like, do you spend a hundred hours a week grinding on your side hustle? Um, because this is a room full of them, you, you know, like, let's, let's say that was the event. Um, or, you know, this is, this is where it gets a little bit more shallow, but it's like anyone with a newsletter with over 20,000 readers, like if you don't have that, it's, it's not, it doesn't make sense for you to be there. Um, it isn't, it's not unfair to you. It's unfair to other people. And so that, that's like the language I use. And I believe in the, um, you know, in the idea of like, when you, when you close the door, uh, you like create the room. Um, and I think most people need to understand that community is, is in nature, you know, in nature, not an inclusive thing. It's like you, you have to curate the room. Um, how I think about all these things is I have big blow up mixers that anyone is welcome to, welcome to come to. Um, and then one layer deeper is the Junto Club, where it's more specific to certain types of people and certain types of domains. And that has a 5,000 person wait list. And it's hard to get into that it's free so i'm not like making i'm not just doing it to make money it's like it's all about curation and then there's one level deeper which is like the 10 person dinners that are way more specific um so you'll have a room full of fashion founders who are raising their pre-seed something like that i probably need to communicate this more and i will but it's uh it's not about exclusivity it's more about the relevance of the of the community yeah one thing i think about there that i've talked about with lewis before is the and this might be a rant and not worth it but like a a table of 10 people the total number of possible configurations is like infinite basically and the outcome of that uh collection of people in their specific spot 
all of those outcomes are also different. And if you can curate the, okay, I'm going to put this person by this person because X, Y, Z, it's like, it's a very generous thing to do, even though you're confining them in a way. And, and so, um, I, I think I see the generosity in that answer. I think connecting to a larger idea that I've recently learned, I've learned this and I'm continuing to learn this in the last year or so is I spent most of my life trying to maximize the amount of options available to me. And I think most people do that. They go into like a top consulting or banking job 100%, because, yeah. um, you get more money and, and that opens up opportunities, but also the brand. And that's why I joined Facebook and Google to an extent. Um, and then now I think it's all about limiting your options and having more focus. And that's exactly what you said. Like by placing one person in between two specific people, you create so many more, you, you limit their options, but by doing that, you, you create so many more opportunities or deeper opportunities. That's actually something I completely hadn't thought about because I've never like applied the same metaphor to hosting parties. I've thought a lot about from the career perspective, how a lot of times like maximal optionality is kind of a bit of a, not a scam, but has downsides a lot of people don't realize at the outset. And so, you know, one thing Nick always talks about, Nick Gray, back to, to him and his style of parties, is why he always encourages the cocktail party over the dinner party, because basically you kind of get stuck where you're at and there's less mingling and less opportunity to, to switch around. But when you do have the environment where it's small and cultivated, that actual restriction is, again, not restriction, but adding the friction to changing and not moving around the structure that you've created, where it's like, I actually have a very specific reason why these two people would be next to each other and this person kind of far from that person. Mm -hmm. and the applying those design constraints from to, to parties is actually something I hadn't thought about at all. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Nick's really good at it. Um, I went to an event with him and Sam Parr and Noah Kagan, and he introduced me to like four people that were all like extremely high value people that I continue to chat with today. So I, Nick Gray can do that. He, he can do it uh, like 10 times better than I, I could. Um, I'm, I'm better at like the, uh, you, know, you just crazy. got years on you, dude. I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> How old is Nick Lewis? Do you know? Nick's like forty. Yeah. Nick's forty. Oh my god, I thought I he was uh, like forty. Damn. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I don't think that's like a secret either. I think that's that's public oh. information. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna get mad at us for revealing his age. Uh, yeah. Kyle, any bonus questions from you before we wrap up? Yeah. Um, it's rapid fire. I noticed that you wear Chelsea boots. What's your favorite brand? Uh, how did you notice that? Don't don't worry about it, dude. <laughs> no, just Twitter <laughs> uh, pictures and stuff. Really? That's crazy. Um, uh, this brand called Thursday Boots. Um, I, I actually get like a lot of my clothing from like Amazon and just whatever is convenient. Um, uh, so like I'm not a big brand. I don't like spend that much money on clothes or anything. Thursday's a dope company. I actually yeah. I bought a pair of boots for my brother uh, a few years back. So nice. Yeah, yeah. Boot, boot season is coming back around, so I'm I'm excited um, to start wearing boots again. One objection I think a lot of people would have to, uh, this is kind of calling me back to something earlier in the party. I've been thinking a lot about like, if I was, you know, several years ago and had kind of had some of the experiences that I've had, what are things that like you said that I would like be able to use as, ex as an excuse to not take action, right? It's like, okay, well, I don't live in New York City, so there's not XYZ people here, right? I'm not in this big metro that doesn't have this, so this, this advice won't work for me. Or XYZ, so this wouldn't work for me. Or you always talk about, you know, with building connections, like how can I add value to this connection? They're like, I don't have any value to add. Is there 
some like over uh, like how you'd overcome that objection to someone so it's like they're like i don't know if i'd meet a new person if i have any value to add like what's the way that someone who like perceives they don't have any value to add might actually be able to to add value because i think that's a lot of reasons people are afraid to go to these things it's like i'm just going to be the not cool person around a bunch of cool people Mm. and like i don't have a reason to be there i don't have anything to add like what do you tell that person it's it's understanding what adding value to another human being means. Uh, so the most obvious one is um, I provide you know I meet you and I provide you with resources. I give you money, um, you know, or introduction or something like that. Um, the second way to add value is I uh, give you knowledge. I teach you something, and that's how probably most people think about value. It's like uh, I give you I, I give you knowledge or I give you like money or something like that. But what people forget is is the third one. Um, which is you can add value by uh, providing your emotional presence, by providing a good conversation, by being kind. And so if you, if you show up to an event, and a lot of people forget this, you show up to an event and you speak with like the CEO of an X company, that CEO is probably going to be like, I've, I've noticed this from watching tens of thousands of people at events. Everyone's awkward. So the CEO is going to be nervous. He's like, like, am I too old for this? Like, he's going to be thinking some, something, so, something's <laughs> going on. And so for someone to go, even like a student to go up to him and be like, I like your shoes. Um, I've heard a lot about you. Like I'm a big fan. So the thing, maybe more like specific things um, that that's going to make he or she uh, feel a lot more comfortable. And that's that's you know that's that's value right there. It's the idea of emotional presence. And uh, someone who does this really well is um, Brandon Stanton, uh, Humans of New York. And all he does uh, is go up to strangers, take photos of them, and ask them to reveal their deepest darkest secrets. And it's actually insane. Uh, that moment for that stranger is, is um, I can't even imagine how therapeutic that must be, just sharing your secrets and being able to talk. So most people forget that. Like if you come to one of my events or any event, um, just show up as the best, for, like aim to provide value through giving someone a good conversation. That's it. Humans of New York is, in- yeah, think, is incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also the one thing that's helped me with this is realizing that other people have also have the spotlight effect and it's like everybody has like the same you just put it really well with like even the ceo of some huge company yeah, he's like am i too old it's like something's exactly. going on in his head that going on. is yeah. likely going on in your head and so like just bridging that gap and realizing that you know it that's the way that the world is it's mm-hmm. powerful to be able to uh get over that and like beat the flinch you know yeah yeah i love what you said about giving people the feel like a third form of value is giving someone a valuable feeling mm-hmm. right so just yeah. literally making someone feel valuable right so it's like you're young you're ambitious you're curious and you give someone the feeling it's like hey you're smart like you have the answers that i don't have and that person has been like wanting to feel smart and, and validated and useful and just like being receptive and high attention to their advice makes them feel yeah. like important and useful and could give them a confidence boost in, in ways that they don't realize one thing that that I've recently learned at an event that Nick Gray hosted, because I saw on the guest list, someone who I've been a big fan of, uh, I'll just you know say who he is, uh, Callie Means. He's a big, like, I don't know if you're familiar with Callie. He's co-founder of TrueMed, which is a company that helps people use like their health HSA funds to, to buy food. And anyway, I've been, like listened to him on like 10 podcasts and I saw that he was going to be at this event and I got like so pumped. Mm. And so like I came up to him and I was just like, you know, had listened to it. I've like read every newsletter he's written and kind of had that same excitement of like a big fan of yours. And I think what a lot of people still don't realize is that like online, when people are kind of playing their character of like, you know, Nick Cuber being this sweaty startups guy talking about self-storage or 
kind of all these other people with like their niche obsessions, still for most people, they don't have like a real life community to match those obsessions. So they still don't have that many opportunities to like go nerd out crazy, crazy deep on like the topic that they have like the niche blog about with like a huge following of people online that go into the trenches, but they still don't have that many opportunities to like go extreme nerd mode mm-hmm. on the thing that like they write long Twitter rant threads about with yeah. anyone in person. Yeah. So like when I started asking Callie like really deep questions about like nutrition, like he thought it was just going to be like, what's a seed oil? Is that bad? But instead I was like, you know, 10 questions past that and was like at yeah. the frontier of what he talks about. He was like amped to nerd out about the thing. Whereas I was like worried that he like wouldn't want to talk about it. But it's like, yeah, the reason these people talk about the stuff online is because they don't oftentimes don't have the people like their wives, their kids, whatever, like stop talking about the damn seed oils or stop talking about the damn Bitcoin or stop talking about, you know, the direct like the Facebook ad form, whatever people's like weird hobby obsession is. Like you go to them at the party and you're like, I actually want to go on the exact frontier and they get they get pumped. Yeah, people, um, I, I don't know this person, but I'm assuming very high performer, very accomplished. You know, their, their obsession is like talking about these, uh, like you said, these niche, they don't want to talk about the weather, like, and like just skip all the small talk and jump straight into the things that energize me. Yeah. Like, I just think if you try to like show up and talk to Pomp about like the latest sports game, like how poorly that conversation would go. I should try. Uh, my, I've been on like many calls with Pomp now. I, so he's like a new partner, new friend and always skips the small, there's no small talk. <laughs> oh Yeah. There's no small. I know how much you've like corresponded with him over email. He's I'm very impressed by the way he corresponds. Yeah, he's so direct, but it's not like rude. It's just extremely effective. And he's fast. Uh, He's a fast. He's extremely fast. It's extremely impressive. Kyle, anything you want to close out with or we uh, we happy with what we got? I'm good, dude. Uh, Just gratitude. Thank you very much for for coming on. We we enjoyed talking with you and I enjoyed um, learning, learning about you. And uh, and yeah, cool. Where are the best places to uh, connect people to yourself? My my socials. Um, Twitter is at Andrew Young, A N D R U Y E U N G. Uh, Instagram at Andrews Mixers, and then my website is andrewsmixers.com. Amazing, and we'll link all that below as well. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This is really fun.